on a small island in the Pacific Ocean, 10,000 government officials, scientists, and soldiers, sailors, gathered to test the biggest bomb ever used up to that point. This is the, side, this is the kind of bomb that Enrico Fermi, the father of um, the nuclear weapons, nuclear program that the United States used, this is what he told Harry Truman was, this is an evil thing, do not do this. So they, they, they were testing the largest bomb ever used up to this point. So they go and they create a bunker that's got three, uh, three, foot, three feet thick walls, then with 10 feet of sand on the other side of it. And they put a bunch of scientists to observe this 19 miles from where they're going to actually explode the bomb. They expected on this scale of nuclear weapons, they expected it to be an eight, which if, if you know more than I do, you know that there's some of those big terms that I don't quite get. But So they, they expected it to be an aid. And the thing about this kind of weapon is they were going to use the same kind of bomb they dropped in Japan at the end of World War II to trigger the bomb. So the trigger was actually the kind of bomb that the, had wiped out whole cities in Japan. So they expected it to be an aid. They go to observe, and there's I think there were eight scientists in this. And they said T minus two hours. And so they sit and twiddle their thumbs for two hours. They get down to the 15-minute mark, and they say, okay, T minus 15 minutes. And so they're just kind of waiting, and they've got a few minutes left, and everybody grabs their goggles. But one of the guys realizes he doesn't have his goggles, and there's not enough time to go and get them. And so this big moment of his life is going to be spent where he can't see anything. So one of, he's an older scientist. So one of the younger scientists says, here, I'm young. I've got more of these in my future. You use my glasses. I'll turn my back to the bomb. And so the only thing he could see was not the bomb, but he could see what happened in the faces of the scientists that he was with. He could see in the room that he was in. And so he's got no goggles on. The bomb goes off. And at the beginning, they have it, they call it the teller light, which I, it's named for a scientist. I don't exactly know what it means. But when that light flashed, he could see the bones and the teeth and the skeletons inside the scientists that were in front of him. But he also saw something in their eyes as he saw terror because they looked and they expected it to be an eight and they realized something's wrong. You see, they had taken bets to see, are we about to set the atmosphere on fire and burn up the entire world? They basically they thought, some of them thought, this is actually a bad deal. We should not do this. This is going to set the atmosphere on fire. It's going to, blow, it's going to turn the entire world on fire. And he could see in their eyes, this is bigger than we thought. And they, he could see terror in their faces. Ultimately, they expected it to be an eight. The bomb comes off at a 15. And I was thinking this week about that look of terror that he saw in their eyes. And I was like, you know what? If there's anything that binds all people everywhere, regardless of age, regardless of culture, regardless of time period, fear is, I think, the thing that unites us. You see, we've got kids in here today. We've got adults in here today. We've got people in their 70s. And we've got people that are all the way down to three, four, five. If there's anything that unites us, kids and adults, it's that all of us, on some level, at something are afraid. There is something out there. It may be something that's happening in our family or to our family. It could be our finances as we look at retirement. It could be fear for our children. What's going to happen to them if they keep walking this road away from God? This fear that grips us. If Some of us, it's, I don't know what the sound is outside my bedroom at night. And so I'm afraid. Or I'm afraid that something's going to happen in my family that's happened in my friend's family. So if anything unites all of us here today is that on some level, if we really push and if we're really honest, 
fear shows up somewhere. All of us on some level at Christmas hit this spot where we go, yeah, that's my fear spot. That's the thing that I'm afraid of. Maybe I'm living it, or maybe I'm just living in anticipation. Fear is the thing that unites us. And so we come to Christmas, and we're supposed to sing joy to the world and look at all this great stuff. But if all of us are honest, there's something somewhere that we're afraid of, young and old, rich and poor. There's something that we're afraid of. So today I want to show you how the Bible addresses that fear. Today I want to show you, we've been walking through the book of Luke, the Christmas story in the book of Luke. And today I want to show you in Luke chapter 1 how the Bible addresses at Christmas, specifically how the Bible addresses fear. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If your hands are uh, free, there's Bibles in the seat in front of you. If your hands are full, follow along on the screen as we read. So if we all come to Christmas with something somewhere that we're afraid of, how does the Bible address fear? Luke chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that at Christmas, you don't ask us to set aside fear. You actually come and address it head on. I pray that you will give me your words, that you will give me your spirit, so that your words come to us. And that you dispel our, dispel our fear this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the Christmas story in Luke doesn't start with Jesus. It actually starts with Jesus' relative John. We've, we've looked and seen that an angel came to Zechariah in the temple and said, Zechariah, you and your wife who is barren are going to have a son and his name is going to be John. Then the angel goes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be God with us. Then Mary goes and visits her cousin, her relative Elizabeth, and then she sings a song. That's what we looked at last week. And then this week, the Christmas story goes into this story with Zechariah, with Zechariah's son being born. And Elizabeth has her baby. The neighbors come and share her joy as they marvel. This woman who is barren and old, and nobody would ever expect her to have a baby, has a baby. So they come to rejoice. When it comes time to name the baby, she says John, and they're like, that's not part of tradition. You've got to name him for your family. And then Zechariah says the same thing. That's not some kind of miracle. It seems that he would have been able to write on a tablet during that. The, the angel came to me and said that we should name him John. So Elizabeth 
and Zechariah are united in obeying God in this moment, naming the child John. And then Zechariah's tongue is loosened and everyone can't stop talking about this, saying not only not only have Zechariah and Elizabeth had a baby, but now Zechariah can talk again. Zechariah can talk again. And what I want to focus on today is I want to focus on the song that Zechariah wrote in this moment. This prophecy, this prayer that Zechariah wrote, this is kind of a counterpart to the one that Mary had sung in the chapter or in the earlier part of this chapter. So Zechariah does his own version of this song. And what I want to show you from this is that at Christmas, we're called to look at Christmas so we can serve and walk without fear. Like we think of Christmas as just a fact. Christmas is a fact. This is what has happened. And then one day, the rest of the story is going to take place. And then we're going to actually learn what really matters. But here at Christmas, we're actually called serve and walk without fear. Look at Christmas so you can serve and walk without fear. And what I want to show you here is two changes when Christmas removes fear. I want to show you these two changes. Starting in verse 67. It says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said long ago through His holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And so the, the first change that Christmas makes when it removes fear is it we can serve without fear because God's salvation is a banner over us. We can serve without fear because God's salvation is a banner over us. Zechariah starts this song and says he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That horn is just a symbol of strength. And so he, God has raised this up. And Zechariah's song starts in such a strange place. Because he doesn't start with his son. Zechariah is from the house of Levi. Zechariah is from Aaron's descendants. But he says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And so Zechariah's eyes are not actually on John, it's actually on the baby to come. Zechariah starts with his eyes there, and then he starts retracing the story of Israel. He He starts with the pointing towards David, saying he has salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. It's this language that recalls God delivered us from the hand of our enemies through David's hand. And so he's like looking at the king to come, but he's also looking back and says, God has saved us from our enemies. So he looks back at David, then he looks uh, back towards Abraham and says, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. God remembers his promises points back towards Abraham. And then he says he rescues us from the hand of our enemies to enable us to serve him without fear. That is language of the Exodus. That's when Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go so that they may serve me. Right here, Zechariah is singing a song saying, remember how God saved us from our enemies through David? Remember how God kept his promises to Abraham? Remember how God delivered us out of the hand of the Pharaoh in Egypt so we can serve him without fear? And Zechariah is saying, God's renewing that in this day. God's doing this, doing a new thing, renewing that right now. So he says, we can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. But notice he doesn't say we can serve him 
for holiness and righteousness all our days, we can actually serve him in holiness and righteousness all our days, which is the, the opposite order that we normally walk through. We normally think, God, let me obey you today so that I can be called holy. But here he says, no, God has done salvation so that we can serve him in holiness, not for it. He's pointing back. He's pointing back to their history. He's pointing towards these external things like enemies on the outside, like pharaohs that impose things on us from the outside. He's pointing back towards Abraham and his promises, saying where God promised to give him the land. He's saying, God, God has raised up a banner of salvation over us so we can serve him without fear. So there will be nothing outside of us that's ever going to keep us from being able to serve him. There's nothing outside of us that's now going to keep me from being able to be and do what God has called me to be and do, which is the exact opposite of what Israel thought at this point. The Israelites thought, if we can just throw off the Romans, if we can just throw off our enemies, if we can just get our land to ourselves, if we can just get people to leave us alone, we are going to be able to serve God. But in this day, Zechariah's like, no, no, because God has raised up a banner of salvation. There is nothing outside of you It's going to be able to keep you from serving God the way he calls you to serve him. And so what that means for us is that Christmas is a banner over us saying we can serve God without fear. There is nothing outside of us that's going to keep us from being able to be and do what God's called me to be and do. That means that there's going to be no financial trouble outside of me that's going to be able to keep me from being able to be and do what God's called me to be and do. There's going to be no situation outside of me in the culture that's going to be able to keep me from being able to love God, love my neighbors, and be on mission with God in those places. There's going to be nothing outside of me that's going to keep me from being able to serve God without fear. So I don't have to fear the culture. I don't have to fear finances. I don't have to fear the future. I don't have to fear any person in my family who disapproves. I don't have to fear anybody in my community who disapproves. I don't have to fear that God's going to uh, leave me in a situation where my gifts are wasted. There's nothing out there that's going to keep me from being able to be used by God. I can serve him without fear, not for holiness, but in holiness, not fearful of those things because God has raised up a banner of salvation over me at Christmas. So the call to Christmas is look at Christmas so you can serve without fear. You go, Joe, what about, what about fear? Like Mary said that God's mercy is for those who fear him. How does that work with this saying we can serve without fear? If you were here last week, I pointed out that Often when the Bible is describing the fear of the Lord, it's describing the fear of the Lord as regard for the Lord. Not terror before the Lord. It's, do you have regard for him in all your ways? Not, I'm afraid of him and I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I don't do this. It's this, do I have regard for the Lord in all my ways? Here, that's not saying we can serve him without regard for him. No, we can have, we can serve him without fear of other people. Without fear of other situations. Without fear of the world outside of us. But not only does Zechariah say we can serve him without fear because God's salvation is a banner over us at Christmas. Second, we can walk without fear because God's salvation is given inside us. God's salvation is given inside us. Verse 76, he turns. So he's recalled Israel's history. Then he says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the path of peace. In this, at this point, Zechariah turns from, his, from the history of Israel and from external enemies and now says, God is actually giving salvation inside us, to us, and begins looking to the future. He says that you're going to go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And, but, and then this is a, modifies that. You're going to go before the Lord who is going to give his people the knowledge of salvation. And then he describes that. What is salvation? What is this salvation that he gives? The forgiveness of their sins. The release of their sins. This thing that These sins that we think are going to hold us back, not because they're outside of us, but it's actually what's inside me. It's the selfishness. It's the harshness. It's the greed. It's the anger. It's the bitterness. It's the lust. The things that are inside me. He says he's given his people the knowledge of salvation from the, for the release of of their sins. And then he, but he, not just the forgiveness of sins, he also describes that salvation as the tender mercy of our God. It's the word for the gut feeling. It's this word for God who feels it in our, his guts for us. It's compassion on a different scale that God, we can know that he's actually feeling for us in our guts. That's part of what salvation is. And then not only is it freedom from our sin, Not only is it we can know that God is actually always compassionate for us, but also also it's this rising sun that comes to us from heaven. Those of us living in darkness, in the shadow of death. That salvation means that the sun is now rising. That though we walk in shadows, though some of us are actually staring at death, though some of us are saying, "Look, look at where I'm at. I just feel like I'm so far down in darkness. This says that salvation means the rising sun has come, and so we will never again have to walk in fear of death, walk in fear of the shadows, walk in fear at all. So the early part, he'd been external, but here it's internal. And so he's saying there is nothing inside of you that you've not been released from. There is no situation in which you will find yourself in which God is not feeling it in his guts for you. And so if you walk and think, oh, God must be really angry with me at this point. This says that salvation means that God's compassion and tender mercy is for us all the time. And God's not sick of you. He's not angry. He's not furious. He's not saying, well, in spite of what you've done, I'll let you back one more time. No, it says that God has tender mercy and compassion for you in every situation in which you find yourself. Salvation means we can walk without fear that God's opinion has not changed. It's still compassion just like it was compassion. We can walk without fear because we now walk in the land of the rising sun. The king who has come, and so even though it right here looks like the shadow of death, even though it looks like darkness, he's actually guiding our feet into the path of peace. And so we actually are now walking with him without fear. We can walk with him without fear. This reminds me. Those of you with kids, or maybe if those of you that are in leadership at work, you know that there's a difference between outside pressure and an internal change. Those of you with kids, you know that as a parent, I can get you to do what I want to a certain extent just by putting outward pressure on you. If I just, if I just say the right things, if I just give you the right incentives, then my kid's going to eat the food I want them to eat. They're going to behave in public the way I want them to behave. I can, I can put outward pressure on them, but as soon as that outward pressure goes away, they go back to the way they want to go. Isn't that right, if you're a parent? You, you put outward pressure on and they behave a little bit, 
But then when the outward pressure is gone, they don't change. They just go back to the way that they want to be. But we all, but if you're a parent or if you're an employer, you know that outward pressure cannot do the thing that an inward change can do. If you're a parent and you're, you're got God, will you actually change their heart from the inside? You know, if you're an employer or a leader at work, you know, if I can actually find something inside that motivates them so that they want to change, so that they want to do something, then there can be lasting change. And this here in this passage, this here in this passage is saying that we can walk without fear because God has given these things to us inside us. It's not outward pressure saying, why can't you just do better? Here's some extra shame. Here's some extra guilt. Here's all of this stuff. No, we can walk without fear because God actually gives us a change from the inside. And so if, if we are trying to, to shape people, if we are trying to raise our kids, if we are trying to lead people at work, if we are trying to make disciples in the church, and all we ever do is try to use fear and outward pressure, then we actually have missed the heart of God. In this passage, he's saying, no, he actually gives us the release of sin, he, he has compassion for us on the inside. And he lets us live, he calls us to live in the land of the rising sun so that we can walk without fear and do the things that he's called us to do. What I'm saying is that if we try to make people change, if we try to make people change using fear, Christmas says, no, you've missed it. You've missed it. That's not how God motivates. God actually delivers people on the outside and he loves people on the inside. And then change happens and we can serve and walk without fear. And so, for us, to walk without fear means your sin is actually not going to overcome you. You're not walking around carrying a bag filled with all the sins that you've never been released from. This passage says that we can walk without fear because God has released us from all those sins. This passage says that God's compassion is not going to leave you. This word for this gut feeling that God has for us, this tender mercy of our God, means that right now it's never going to leave you. And Christmas points us to that detail. You can walk without fear knowing that God's opinion is not going to change. And this tells us we can walk without fear because the shadow of death is not going to swallow us. You won't stay in the shadow of death forever. Actually, the rising sun is rising right now at Christmas in that place that you are. It certainly feels like the shadow of death. It certainly feels like everything is going wrong. It certainly feels like you're alone. But this says the shadow of death will not swallow you. But there's actually sun rays right now shining into that place. So we read this passage. And you go, this is good news. I'm supposed to serve without fear. I'm supposed to walk without fear. Can I do this this week? Can I do this this week? Can I remember, oh, no fear. What's the slogan when I was a kid was no fear. Oh, I'm just going to say it and believe it and it's going to work. But if I'm honest, I often do serve with fear. Fear that God's going to let me down. Fear that something outside me is going to overcome me. Fear that I'm going to be dropped and God's going to forget. I'll walk with fear, thinking if, if I don't do everything right, if I don't do everything right, then I, my family will blow up and my career and my life will blow up and I will be left alone. And so this passage becomes bad news when we just look at it. How can I, serve, can I serve without fear this week? Can I walk without fear this week? Let me try harder this week. This passage tells us that we can serve without fear, not because we've committed to it being so, not because we've committed to trying harder, not because we've said, though this is going to be true, so it's going to be true this week. I'll walk without fear. No, we can serve without fear 
Because God's banner of salvation is over us. Because His Son died in our place with a mocking banner over Him. He's the one that didn't need to be saved, but died in our place. And so we can serve without fear because God's banner of salvation is for us. Because the the judgment went on Him. We can walk without fear because God's salvation is given inside of us. Because His Son went to that hill and died on the cross in our place. And so the shadow of death fell on the one who didn't deserve the shadow of death. And so now we don't ever have to walk in that way. We can walk and we can serve without fear because He took all of the stuff that we should take and gave us the salvation and the banner and the, that we need. If you're like, Joe, what does that mean? How can I know for sure that God's salvation is a banner over me? How can I know for sure that God's salvation is given inside of me? The story of the Bible. It's the story that God made the world and He made it good. That God made the world and He made it good and he, he made people and He said they are very good. And He said, you will be my little kings and I will be the great king. And we said, no, we want our own kingdom. We don't want your kingdom. And so we turned our backs on Him. He drove us out of the garden and said, one day I will crush my enemies. I will judge my enemies forever. But the story of the Bible is He promised, but one day I will come for you. One day I will come and deliver you from this. And so... Instead of leaving us as his enemies, the Bible says that Jesus came and lived the life we should have lived in the shadow of death, died the death we should have died, and was raised to life so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ are found in him, getting his reward and restored back, not just to being little kings under him, but actually being sons and daughters of the king with all of his rights and privileges. And so the story of the Bible is we can serve without fear because we not, have not been released from slavery only to new slavery. We've actually been released from slavery to sin and brought into the house as heirs of the king. So we can serve. And we can walk without fear. And Christmas is the thing that calls us to that. Christmas says, look at it. Look at Christmas. You can serve. You can walk without fear. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that even though fear unites all of us here today, you release us from fear at Christmas. I pray that this will be good news for young and good news for old. God, I pray that this would be something that spreads in our community and in our families so we can serve you and walk with you without fear. In Jesus' name, amen.